And I think we all understood each other's strengths and we played off of that. And that really helped the collaborative effort, just, you know, being able to bounce off each other's ideas and also uh, us having a lot of humility and being able to uh, let go of our ego and, and just focus on the end product and that whatever's good for the book is what matters. Someone has a better idea. Someone has a, an adjustment that makes uh, maybe a, a line or a joke stronger. We go with that. So that really helped a lot being able to build together. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Higher Standard Podcast, where we give you ultra-premium, unfiltered truth when it comes to building your wealth and curating the lifestyle of your dreams. No games, no drama, and no shenanigans. I am your host, Chris Nahibi, and I'm here to help you distill the immense amount of information and disinformation out there on the interwebs and give you the opportunity to choose a higher standard for yourself. There are no gurus here, and no one gives a damn about how wealthy you look. I'm an attorney and a banker, amongst other things. Does that mean you should listen to me? Hell no. This is just full disclosure that while we talk about money, wealth, law, investing, and a lot of related topics, you should always speak to your own advisors for an opinion tailored to your unique investment perspective. I am obligated to tell you that nothing contained in this show is in fact legal or investment advice and is being provided solely for entertainment purposes. So sit back, Relax your mind and get ready for a different kind of podcast where we elevate your baseline in crispy, high-resolution audio. This isn't a different standard. It's the higher standard. Welcome back to the higher standard. This is your boy, Chris, and we are, as you already know, world famous. I got to tell you, it's been an exciting couple of weeks. Been doing a lot of stuff with the family. One of the things we did is we went to Disneyland. We go a lot. For those of you who know me, you know that my family has a season pass and we, my wife takes my son like all the time. My wife's family's really into it. And I got to tell you, as a dad, seeing your kid at about three years old really fall in love with going and being super excited about it. I mean, I'm, I've, I didn't go to Disneyland that much when I was a kid. My parents weren't like obsessed and certainly not, not to the extent that my son gets to go. He's probably gone more times at three years old than I've ever gone in my entire life. But it is so awesome to see him have such a good time there and and to really, you know, enjoy it. And we've been getting a lot of family members involved with us too because they got young kids. A lot of people a lot of my wife's cousins and family members, they all have kids around the same age. My cousins have kids around the same age. Matter of fact, we're going with with Halia and Tara, my other two cousins coming up here, I think uh, in a couple of weeks to Disneyland again just to go with them and their kids who are about my son's age. So we go a lot, but one of the last trips we went on my wife's cousin's uh, family, extended family, uh, brought their family and, and Rodolfo, a.k.a. Roggy, that's my guy, he was there. And him and his wife, Jenna, and, you know, he's my wife's, uh, how do I explain this? So my wife's cousin's husband's sister and her husband, so that, that's Roggy, but it's complicated. But long story short, Roggy's there, and, you know, I, after you do the social media introductions, you start looking people up online. I recognize that, that Roggy and his boys had put out a book. And it wasn't just any book. It was one, dude, talk about an awesome title. Love Hurts, spelled H-E-R-T-Z. I grew up in the era where EDM was big, going to Vegas, and, and my wife did too. So obviously that resonated with us. We're like, okay. So I started to look out, you know, check out the book. I know that he had his his co-authors, Aaron Mostow and Kevin Flores. And, and these guys had like these interesting backgrounds. So I started going down this 
I started going down this path. You know what happens when you start stalking people online, you start figuring stuff out. Well, the book actually winds up being like this romantic comedy with a sci-fi twist set in a world of EDM music. And it's kind of raunchy, so it's right up my alley. If you follow the podcast, you know, I cuss a lot. I like that dirty shit. That's just how I am. So I, I looked into it and I thought, damn, this book is really good. So I actually bought it and read it. No one hooked me up. This is not an endorsement thing. Just, it's just by sheer happenstance that Roggy was there that day and we connected on this. And obviously our kids are around the same age. And I really liked it. So I was like, fuck, I'm going to have these guys on the podcast to talk about it. So that's what we did. We had, we had everyone on the podcast to really talk about the origin story of the book and, and how this all really manifested. I had no idea at the time that it was going to wind up being this long, long journey for these guys. And, and they've been friends for a long time, but they've been talking about this. This is one of those things like boys talk about around tables, and sometimes that shit just never gets traction. Well, these guys actually got traction with it. They wrote a book, and I really do think, I see this as a movie. I see this happening, but I thought the entrepreneurial journey that these guys took, not only as friends, but as entrepreneurs from different industries that put something together that, that likely are going to make this a movie someday, I thought this would be a great opportunity to talk about their journey, where they're at now. And who knows, in a couple of years, they may come back and talk to us about how this got turned into a film, because I really see that, I really see that being a possibility. And if you don't, if you don't really necessarily get what I mean by that, you, all you got to do is read the book. There's an audio book, too, if you're like me. I actually didn't read it. I got the audio book because, you know, I'm busy. But if you check out the audio book, I think it, it'll explain everything you need to know and more. Jump into the interview. I really enjoyed, uh, you know, Roggy, Kevin, and, and Aaron. They're, they're really cool creators. They could come from a completely different background than I do being in finance and business. But at the same time, that universal love, that passion that drives projects like this. It's, it's just that language that all entrepreneurs speak. I hope you enjoyed as much as I did. This one was cool and definitely different. All right, gentlemen, I appreciate you coming on the show. Welcome. I've been super excited to talk to all three of you about this book, not only because I, I heard about it through obviously friends and family, but because I actually took the time to listen to it, driving driving to work, having it a, an audiobook version of it made it super easy to listen to. How do you guys know each other and how did this idea from a book come? I mean, where did it come from? Me and Aaron come from a background of hip-hop and and we met each other through breakdancing, so b-boying. So we would go to uh, events and we'd be breaking across from each other in circles. And like we we would see each other progress, like like all right, that guy's getting better. But at, at each event we we went to, so we we would see each other progress, and then all of a sudden, instead of like breaking against each other or battling each other, we started battling other people together, and we, we became really good friends. So I got to ask right out the right out the gate, one of you was better, right? Roger's a little better. He, he had he had better he had better floor moves, but I had better like top rocks, up rocks. <laughs> <laughs> All right, very politically correct, but I'll take it. <laughs> we met Kev. I met Kev at the Musicians Institute over five fifteen years ago. He was uh, studying there in in a recording session, producing some music, and then later he had his first son Noah, which is. Raji's nephew. You can definitely tell all those themes come out in the book, especially like love for hip hop, love for kind of the EDM music scene. A lot of that really is part of the book. So did you guys, did you guys go into your relationships with one another just 
as friends and, and this idea came about one day over ca- you know, casual conversation? Or was this something that, that you guys had talked about for a long time and were like, fuck it, let's do it? It was actually really organic. We were just sitting around at a table, hanging out, and um, Aaron shared an idea about a concept of a DJ that discovers a sound that heals his mother. Because uh, Aaron was going through a really tough time with his mother battling breast cancer. And uh, that story transformed into something more lighthearted with Love Hurts. Yeah, so that, that, that's actually crazy start to the story. So then it, it goes into that, into you guys decide, you know what, let's make it more of like a romantic comedy, like a little bit of raunchy humor. Was it an escape for you guys writing it? Or was this just, because obviously the, the book is written in such a way that honestly, I'll, I'll be candid right out the gate. I think this is a movie, right? Definitely. It, it, it's written with those kind of visuals. So were, were you were you guys writing it with that in mind or, or were you saying, were you guys just getting together, having fun, telling a story? Did you always see that as the end goal? It, it was a movie. It, it started a, actually just as a script. Uh, you know, um, eventually we transformed that into a book. Why that way instead of the other way, right? I mean, was it just, that was where you started? The same, the same idea that the concept, the characters, uh, the raunchiness, it just screamed, this is a movie. So we approached it that way. And then once we decided to turn it into a book, we made some changes, added a lot more details. And yeah, we're really happy the way it came out. You guys, I mean, you guys start with a guy, main character, right? And this main character is like so many of us who grew up in the 80s, right? Like your parents wanted you to do something else. Like they, they really didn't understand what you did, especially the dad. Does that come from, from like the cultural upbringing? Does that come from family or, or is that just made up on, entirely? I think, I think, uh, yeah, I think it's from definitely upbringing, like, you know, like personal relationships with, with our fathers and, you know, per- personal experience with, with family and, and music and, you know, like all, it all intertwines. So my dad, I don't know about you guys. So my, my, I'm half Iranian, right? And my dad was like, my dad was like, a, he was like, you got to be a doctor or a lawyer. I wound up being a lawyer and I hated every minute of it. I still don't even really, I don't think I made a dollar off that, that anyway. But he, he, he never understood things like me playing basketball or me liking the music scene and definitely didn't understand like the hip hop scene growing up. I mean, do you guys have those challenges in your household growing up too? Like your parents didn't understand? Yeah, I mean, as, as, as far as like first generation Filipino and like, I would tell my parents, like, I wanted to be an artist. And they're like, you're going to starve. You know, <laughs> they, they, want, they want me to be a doctor or engineer, you know, and like didn't really understand the hip hop culture or, or skateboarding. And, you know, they thought that was just like a like a hobby or like just a toy, you know? Yeah. And it, it's funny. To, I don't I think everybody is everyone on the on this uh, parent now. I know Anuragi is. I know uh, Aaron, you are Kevin, you too. Oh, no, I'm not. I'm not a parent. Yeah, I got I have two boys. There you go. I'm a great, I'm an awesome uncle and a godfather. And I love, I love my role right now and, and embrace that. Yeah. My sons, my sons refer to Aaron as uncle Aaron for sure. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Look, I'll tell you, I, I became a dad late, man. It, it changed me. And, and Raggy, I know you got Jonas and, and being a dad can really change your perspective, right? Yeah. I, I got Elijah too. Elijah's 19 years old right now. Oh my gosh. So, I didn't know. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So, and he's actually, uh, Aaron's godson. So, wow, you either look really good for your age, man, or you've been getting a lot more sleep than I have because I'm full gray. You look young as hell. <laughs> this is wrong. 
Well, so, I mean, when you wrote the book, were you thinking about your kids? I mean, were you thinking about like, you know, your nephews and nieces? Were you thinking about all, all these people around you and how this would resonate with them? Or were you thinking about your childhood when you, when you wrote this? I mean, how, did, how does that change your perspective on the story like this? Because I saw a lot of younger generation in this book in today's world, not so much when I was growing up in the 80s, right? I think we wrote this from a place where a lot, a lot of people as young adults, they can relate to it. Um, coming of age, trying to find where you fit in, in, in society, trying to find love being, being, uh, turned down by girls. It's something that many people can relate to. So I think we're just writing from a place that of, of relativity and, and a place of, you know, a, place where artists can understand like, you know, Hey, I want to pursue this, but my parents just don't see eye to eye with me and people doubt me. And everyone kind of goes through that in life. And you, you reach this, this path in life where you have to decide truly, like, I'm going to pursue what I want to do, or I'm going to fall victim to just doing what my parents want me to do. Yeah, man. And that, that's, that's one of the major core concepts that I think we found like with major entrepreneurs is that, they typically have not taken this path of, you know, my parents wanted me to be a doctor or lawyer and I'm super successful now. Almost every entrepreneur I knew followed their, their passion. They always followed that chase. And, and, that, and having the courage to stand up against like this educational system and the people around you to do that is, is not always easy, man. We, we teach our kids to raise their hand and answer questions and, and to see, see people learning and chasing their own passions like that is cool, especially when you have books like this, which really kind of give kids that message, like do what you love and love comes back. Right. I mean, I, I know it's cliche, but so do you guys all, I mean, do you guys all work in different jobs right now? And is this the passion? Is this like the side hu hustle or is this just one of many things you're doing? Yeah. Writing is definitely, uh, been my like newfound passion. Um, I dedicate most of my time to recording, uh, and producing music, but, Definitely, this is where I see the later chapters of my life uh, heading towards. Your other guys, I mean, you guys are doing for, this. For me, for yeah. me, for me uh, I just like creating. I like creating, but I also have a array shop, array shop that we sell uh, parts and service, and um, also we um, have a product that that's uh, a racing simulator to improve uh, racing. So. Yeah, so pretty much it's just uh, like a side a side thing. Like I just fell fell on our lap, like from just an idea, you know. For me, it's I, I've just been a creative since my whole life, and I know that's my mission here is to be as creative as possible and and make people laugh and fucking not take things so serious in life. Um, try and spread joy through through humor. I, I know all of us are jokesters and like to make people laugh and creativity and. And um, uh, entrepreneurship has been an awesome journey and also intellectual property for, for the people who are listening is, is so important. You got to create things that you own. And, and you know, I've, I've been lucky enough to be involved with TV and film in the past. Uh, you know, sold my first TV show about seven years ago and um, produced a, a documentary film about the evolution of electronic music. So this is definitely a passion of mine. Um, it's definitely a part of the hustle and it's not an easy hustle, but the, the first goal that we had, which we're coming full circle with was to create a movie. We wrote the movie script a few years later, we pivoted, turned that movie script into a book, an audio book, an ebook. And, um, yeah, here we are, we're gearing up to, to start pitching the actual movie script to all the networks. 
And I got to tell you, with your connections and everybody's kind of diversified background, I can't see how that doesn't get some ears listening and, and somebody to pick that up. But what really caught my eye was the way you guys have approached your marketing. Can we spend a couple minutes talking about how, I mean, you guys kind of, I mean, guerrilla marketing at its best. You guys are definitely amplifying on social media. And I got to tell you, I can't remember the last time I've seen a book just myself from anybody, even a well-established author that really pushed hard in front of you the way that you guys have done that. So, I mean, a lot of respect to you guys for that. But what was the idea there? I mean, was it just you guys using the platforms that you had or were you really trying to resonate with the audience that can identify with this type of lifestyle and this type of music? We look at the we look at marketing like a full circle. There's so many aspects to marketing in this digital age that we can tap into. And we wanted it to be diversified, you know, physical billboards, posters, things that catch the eye digitally. Then you tap into these new awesome platforms that give you the ability to get directly in front of audiences. So, and, and tying in the humor behind it, um, you know, I, I feel we did a good job and we're still doing a good job tying into influencers that have their own uh, in, uh, followings, um, doing events, music compilations. And we approach it kind of like hip hop and graffiti, you know, like get, get up, you know, just hit the walls, do whatever you can to get your name known. And that, that comes from, from the raw energy of street art and graffiti tagging your name. And we have to do what we have to do to get it out there. I loved it. And then I saw you guys, you guys were all at Coachella, right? Or were you guys handing out like stickers and stuff like that? We had some friends out there. Yeah. 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 That was, that was brilliant. I mean, talk about it, the opportune like way to catch your audience all in one place. That was, I don't, I don't know that most people, I mean, you're creators, you guys think creatively, but I don't know that most marketing people would have gone to that extent to actually try to push product that way. So I can, I can imagine that's done well. And then I saw, I, I keep seeing every single day, somebody new on your social media who seems to have a following talking about how much they love the book is a lot of that just you guys organically looking out for people that are in kind of your subset. I mean, how many, how much of that is organic versus you guys like paying traffic? I mean, obviously there's a, there's a general balance of how you get your message out there. What, what's your focus right now on social media? I think it's a combination of both. You know, we, we need to reach out to audiences and, and influencers that we have common ground with that actually enjoy music, enjoy festivals, enjoy raunchy comedy. Uh, many of them we already personally know. So it's, it's, it's genuine in that component. And uh, it's cool because we, we meet one or we have a f- affiliation with one and then they're sh- sharing inf- info on their friends. And so it's like, hey, it's kind of organically spreading and we get to meet new people that enjoy reading or enjoy humor and they want to spread the word too. Well, you guys have certainly crushed it. Uh, and I got I to gotta ask the question because I know I've had several authors on before and it's always been a trip to me to see how different it some some authors can sit down and bang out their content in literally a couple of weeks. And some of them, it takes years to write something that, that, that they love. Was this a natural thing? I mean, three people working together on a project. Did you guys each have identified roles and, and how long did it take for you guys to get the full book like ready to go? Uh, Google Docs was definitely key to the collaboration effort being able to edit in real time. And sometimes, you know, we'd see each other making adjustments while we were working on the next line. And that really helped us have a good workflow. Um, There were no established roles necessarily, but I think we all understood each other's strengths and we played off of that. 
And that really helped the collaborative effort, just, you know, being able to bounce off each other's ideas and also uh, us having a lot of humility and being able to uh, let go of our ego and, and just focus on the end product and whatever's good for the book is what matters. Someone has a better idea. Someone has a, an adjustment that makes uh, maybe a, a line or a joke stronger. We go with that. So that really helped a lot being able to build together. And about how long were you guys spending like on that project? It's almost 10 years uh, from the time we sat down to the release date. The script uh, took, you know, probably, I'd say, four or five years. And then the book took about three. Mm. And wow. then life and then life happens, too. You know, we all have family. We have we have obligations. So the, the most important thing is resilience and and tenacity to to see a project through i'm a perfectionist so i never want to leave a project and say yeah you know what i'm just it's over you know we all three of us are the type to to see follow through we're at the plate you know that's what your coach tells you you want to hit the fucking ball you better follow through so that's that's exactly what we did and the great thing about writing with these guys is you know raji's very humorous he's a jokester kevin's super attention to details and methodical and, you know, I come with just just an, just the idea, the concept. So all, all of us together kind of really honed in and sharpened each other's swords to 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 be ready for battle. Wow. I mean, that's a long time, man. So you guys got to have a sense of relief at this point. Right. I mean, you guys got to feel good that after that much time, in, I would imagine in that long of a time span with people having chick, you know, kids and children and life gets getting in the way, there had to be some points where you thought this book might not make it right? I mean, or did you guys know the whole time this was going to happen? I think we knew that we were going to see it through. Um, I think that's just the way we're built. Uh, it might not be uh, at the time that we want, but it came out at the right time. Things lined up and yeah, I don't think, I don't personally, I never had any doubts, uh, even when it was a movie script, you know, it's, it's a big dream. But we decided the book was going to be an easier way to get the story out to everybody. And one thing I think that's a big strength of ours is uh, we're not afraid to learn new things. If we don't know something, there's a way to figure it out. There's people that you can reach out to. Uh, we're not uh, trained writers. You know, we didn't go to you know school to to learn about you know how to put together. A script or any of that but that didn't stop us from making sure that we saw the project through yeah you know it, i was talking to a guy whose sole job it is to be a screenwriter the other day and he was telling me that most people he works with didn't go to school for it they're just people who were passionate about it because if you go to school for it and, and you love it and it's all good and you learn you know you're formally trained you tend to not be as creative because you, you're learning from a structured set of rules that someone else gives you in school so I don't know that that's, a, that's a necessarily a bad thing. I, I think it's actually a real strong thing about where you guys have come from. But I, I don't know if you guys put any active thought into this, but I know that a lot of directors, when they work with writers, they get really freaked out, particularly when they come with a movie already written. But when they come with a book, the directors typically feel like they have a little more flexibility in adapting that book to a movie. So in some ways, I don't know if you guys did it by design or not, that actually might make what you're doing that much more appealing to a director in a studio, right? I mean, because now they can take your core concept and they can choose what makes a movie, right? I think so, yeah. 
anytime a script gets picked up, it's going to be uh, adapted. Same with a book. So now they just have more fuel for their fire. They have more content and they can pick and choose. Hey, we like this from the book. We like this from the script. We get to, they get to decide which parts and they can adapt from there. Yeah. The book definitely has more depth and more details than the script. Uh, the script was a good, uh, launching point, but, um, you know, in a book, there's no montages to fill a gap of time. So you got to make sure that every, every part is accounted for. How did we get from here to there? Uh, be really descriptive. So there's just a lot to work with. Yeah. I mean, it was brilliant play on your guys' part. So now that you guys had the book out, you have, you got to have a sense of relief. You got to feel good that that part, that chapter of your, of the book writing and this mission for you is, is done. Are you guys feeling pressure about the next phase? I mean, looking for that, that movie deal, or, or do you feel confident that if you keep going down this path, that these things will just happen? Yeah. I mean, in the beginning, we just had the script, right? So it's like trying to push that before the book was, was difficult, you know, like trying to get the script to people. But now that we have the book, it's easier to get the book to masses and, and have people read it. So like, I think like going with the flow, like focusing one thing at a time with the book. And I think eventually the script will get picked up as, as it goes, you know, as the book goes, I think the script can go too. And it's all part of the journey. Like so many people are like, Oh, I'm done with this. What's next. And the, just this, this kind of quote I've been living by is just like, celebrate the journey. The journey is the destination. You know, this, this ride that we're on through life is like, what end goal are you looking at? We might not even be able to live to see that end goal. So make sure that you're celebrating the wins, the journey right now. And um, the journey has taken us thus this far to this book. And whatever happens from here, we can look back and like, hey, we created this amazing book. And, and the next win, we will celebrate that at that time. But try not to get so stressed out. And I feel this generation's like so quick, immediate. I need immediate results with everything. And just just take the time to celebrate and linger on 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 the present. Yeah, legacy is so important, man. I mean, what we leave behind and what we actually do. I mean, if you could, there's so many people that are so focused on just making money, they're not really looking at at what they're leaving behind as a body of work they did. Kind of like that intellectual property thing you were talking about in the beginning, right? What have you done to create and to build that's going to last beyond you? Is is huge. I did want to spend a couple minutes talking about obviously what the book's about. So the main character, chapter one, hits you with that typical male bravado in a club. The guy's feeling good about himself. He's that guy. Like, I know she's looking at me and does what we all do when we're young. He says something stupid, right? And then what happens? You're in the car, usually late at night. Your boys have been drinking. You've been drinking. And they call you out for being a dumbass, right? Let, let me know. Like, this is an actual conversation y'all had. Like, this is real, right? One of y'all did this. Which one was it? I could guess if you want me to, but I don't want to call anybody out. There are definitely a lot of parts in the book that were inspired by real life events or stories that were shared with us. We definitely can't name any names uh, for obvious reasons, <laughs> but uh, I think uh, those people, when they read it, they're going to know who they are for sure. <laughs> so, so Fatty's going to know who Fatty is then, huh? 
Uh, well, actually, you know what? <laughs> fatty, fatty, who inspired Fatty in real life is kind of oblivious, so he might not even realize it when he reads it. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but he's a good guy, and uh, we appreciate him for the inspiration for sure. Uh, just that first chapter made me relive so many moments as a kid, man, just going out with my friends and doing stupid shit. It, it's crazy how we stigmatize all these interactions that we have. But yet, at the same time, we we all ultimately secretly want these things we make fun of each other for, right? Like, we want to be the guy who walks in a room that the, that the ladies like. We want to have... I'll tell you right now, if I, could, if I discovered a frequency that made people fall in love, it'd be game over. Y'all, y'all be seeing me everywhere playing. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. Right? Yeah, and... Was, and- we pull inspiration from from nostalgic movies like Goonies, you know, the coming of age, as well as like, you know, Love Hurts is it's a struggling DJ who discovers the frequency. But it's it's like this movie. It's like weird science meets the hangover and, and set in the world of electronic music. You know, that's funny. I totally got the weird science vibe. And, and I, for those of you who don't know, like that's that's one of my favorite movies. I, I love that movie. It reminds me of my childhood at this point. And it's just so different. And, and Goonies, too. Goonies was a huge childhood movie. We all grew up. I think we're all like, you know, are we all for, in our 40s? All of us? Uh, I'm 35. Yeah. I hate you. Okay. Oh, everybody else. Everybody. <laughs> I should have just, just said, yeah. You should have just said, yeah, approximately. <laughs> or I know me and Aaron are. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, look, it goes to show you, man, like th- those things stick with you. But that's what I love so much. More than anything about the book, that's what I love is it reminded me of so many of those like whimsical like childhood stories, man. Like growing up, those things were, I don't know what it is about movies today. They're not necessarily bad or good. It's just they have a different vibe to them that in the 80s was just so wholesome. Does that make sense? Yep. The 80s was a special time. Yeah. I, I mean, and it's, it's, it's crazy to see how, how all those things being different. Even, so I guess the, the reason why I found that was somewhat relevant is like you can, you can be 20 years old and read this book and it appeals to you. And you can be 40 and it'll appeal to you, but in different perspectives. Right. Like, so you have like that wholesome, like rom-com vibe, but you also get a a number of jokes, which are, (laughs) which are harsh and cool. And I love it because I'm a sick fuck. And that's what I, that's what I say to my friends whenever the cameras aren't on. (laughs) But at the same time, like you, you get like this wide breadth of people and that that appeal. I mean, were, were you guys thinking about how to make this book as marketable as possible? Or was this just your humor? Like you guys reliving life and these just things just happen to be influences. Yeah, I think definitely it was. Uh, our sensibility. I think if it makes us laugh, um, then go for it. I know for myself, uh, I'm pretty picky, like with jokes and what makes me laugh. Like I look, I look up for the comedians. They inspire me a lot. I look up to greats like Louis C.K., Dave Chappelle, Aziz Ansari, like, you know, top, top tier level comedians. So I feel like we had to come as close as that as possible with some of the gags and, and the comedy in the book. So I'm glad you named all three of those. Cause I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to ask you a question. All three of those have been canceled at some point in the last couple of years because humor and comedy are just, I, I'm, I'm an Eddie Murphy guy from back in the day, right? I want to see some nasty ass shit and I want to, I want to laugh my ass <laughs> off about it. Cause that's real life. That's what we actually say when no one's looking right. When you're not in the office, we're all making dick jokes and we're all making fun of each other. Right. But now, in this day and age, comedians, good comedians, are getting canceled for just saying the same funny shit we say at home because, oh, my God, it's so offensive. Were you guys worried? I mean, because obviously there's some jokes in the book that that are kind of along those lines. Were you worried at all about that? Or were you like, fuck it, we're going to do what we're going to do and people are going to like it or not? 
Now there was times where we came up with some some jokes and we were like, no, nah, we can't put that in there. <laughs> so yeah, we definitely, like, we definitely we de- policed ourselves a little bit, but not too much. Uh, you know, actually, a real interesting uh, point is um, because of the time that this, the length of time that this story took, a lot has changed culturally of like what's acceptable and what's not. So some of the things we wrote, you know, in 2013. Just four or five years later, you know, with everything that was going on, you know, with Me Too and just all this political correctness, you know, on steroids, it was interesting. It was just really interesting to see how quickly things were changing in pop culture and and just, you know, discourse in general. So I, I always look at that and like, wow, uh, for the most part, uh, the story didn't change much, but we definitely saw like we're definitely walking the line right here. And I think it's important to, to, to get people out of their comfort zone and, and offend people because art is not made for people to love or hate. It's art is made for ourselves. And if people enjoy it, that's a good thing. And if they don't, that's, that's okay as well. Like imagine Eminem dropping slim shady in this day and age oh, like he, he couldn't I don't, I don't think that's i think what that's why eminem doesn't rap anymore like half the shit that he said he can't say anymore you think he can stop himself from saying shit like that he's gonna he's gonna say it so we're trying to bring back that richard Pryor, that eddie murphy we're trying to bring back that offensive comedic component that has gone deaf on this sensitive generation and just let him know this is it, this is humor this is fun and it's supposed to be laughed at it's not supposed to be taken serious it's a fictional film it was very nice of you to say sensitive. We all know you mean baby soft, soft as shit. We we we, we know <laughs> what you mean. It's snowflakes. Ow, I got an owie. It hurts. Yeah, that, that, it hurt that's, my that's, feelings. Yeah, that's the generation we're in, and that's not a knock because I know some twenty year olds that are hard as shit. But I'm saying I know some twenty year olds that honestly sound like they're fourteen and and, and they just got done breastfeeding. So it it, it is what it is, man. And I, and I can appreciate it, but. So that, I mean, that begs the question then, like, you know, we all tell jokes, we all, we all have our humor, we're all real. That's got to make you guys feel good that the book is authentic and real to your message. Like that, this seems like it, it resonates. And when I read it, I got the vibe that I was, I got the vibe that I was talking to some guys that I wanted to be friends with by reading this book. Do you, do you feel like everything that you, I mean, obviously with three of you editing it, three of you working on it. There's three of your personalities that are in this and obviously all the interaction you've had and growing up in the last 10 years. Do you feel like that book is an example of who you guys are today or is it outdated in some ways or, or is it just that's just who we are? I think all of us are still tapping into our youthful outlook on life. No matter how old we get, you got to find humor. You got to you got to be young spirited or else you just get grumpy and old. So although we wrote the script and, um, you know, a few years ago, I feel a lot of this is especially nowadays it's, it's needed. I talked to, um, Chris No from the leverage. I don't know if you know who he is. Uh, he, he, uh, makes a lot of clothing for a lot of people and he's kind of like the, the backside distribution shop as well. And he, he makes a lot of clothes for people that are in the NBA and stuff like that. And he, you know, I was talking to him about hip hop cause we both grew up in Santa Ana too. And we grew up, you know, during the time where it was mostly Hispanic, right? And we were these outcasts. You know, he he was Asian, and I'm. They didn't know what the hell I was. I was brown. I was tall. I was too tall to be Mexican, and they just didn't know what I was. And 
we always kind of grew up as outcasts and we were talking about reliving those those times we were lamenting about how much hip-hop had changed how much music had changed and that in order for us to stay relevant we had to change with it otherwise we wind up being our parents who were like ah god that, that tupac stuff is terrible do you feel like you're adapting as time goes by i mean obviously you wrote a book you guys have talked about this period in time but when we were growing up, there wasn't really a whole lot of EDM and the EDM that was out there was definitely different. Do you feel like you've grown up as a result of writing this book and, and you guys have had an appreciation for the younger generation or is this a time capsule? I think we were pretty uh, conscious about being relevant with the topics. Uh, I think that's why we leaned heavily with the social media aspect of the story, especially with like Taj and Janet. Uh, making a connection, you know, through social media and texting, because that's really how a lot of people communicate today. You know, having a phone call is rare. It's, you know, sometimes for some people, if they get a call, they're like, well, what happened? Like something bad? Like, bro, thank God I'm not uh, dating today. <laughs> thank, God, thank God I'm not dating today. <laughs> oh, yeah. So like it's, it's all c communicating uh, non-verbally. So I think that's one of the aspects that we definitely paid attention to for the story. And yeah, and then also not trying to lean too heavy with like the lingo uh, of today because, you know, Ebonics and slang changes so constantly that we didn't want to try to use words that maybe in 2015, 16 were really hot. And then now people are moving on and using words that I'm not even familiar with. So it was a balance for sure. And that, that's why I ask, because I know how complex that balance was. Because when I read the book, I thought we were going to be like encapsulated in a time period, right? Is this going to be like the 90s or the 2000s? And the more I read it, the more I was like, this could be today. This could be yesterday. This could be 10 years ago. And you guys did a really good job of capturing kind of this, this nebulous language where you don't really know where you're at. And I thought that actually added a lot of value because me as the reader, I could put myself in any period of time that I, I'm reliving in my head. And just anecdotally, I'll tell you. The texting thing. So my wife, and Raggy knows my wife. I first asked her out. She's like, yeah, yeah, let's go out. I'm like, can I get your number? She wouldn't give me your number. She gave me her Snapchat ID. Like, I'm like, what in the fuck is this? And then she, and then, and then she ghosts me, this chick. Ghosts me for like weeks. Finally, I catch her at a gym on a Sunday and I confront her like, what the fuck? Like, who gives somebody their information and then just doesn't respond? I'm like, I'm not hideous, am I? Obviously, I am. But, you know. That being said, I had, to, I had to peer pressure her into going to dinner with me on a Sunday night. And that's, that's how I wound up getting married. So that is actually how dating works, believe it or not. And yeah. you proposed to her that <laughs> night. No, but I, here's, here's a sad reality. God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to air her dirty shit out. It's, it's fine. She never went home after the second date. We went on one date. I gave her a hug goodbye. Second date, never went home. Literally never went back to her place. She moved in and, and we've been married effectively oh, since nice. then. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I've been trying to get rid of her since then. I still can't get her out. Oh man! Don't tell. Well, him. Chris, we appreciate that that you uh, <laughs> that you noticed that. Well, you know, and we appreciate that. And uh, for us, it feels like mission accomplished because I think we definitely didn't want to lock the story into you know a certain time period and for it to be dated. So someone that picks it up five years from now is still going to feel like it's a fresh story and relevant to their time. Yeah, and, and I, I'll tell you, I, the only, I think the only reason I noticed it is not because I'm smart or talented or observant. I was just listening to it in the car. I was doing stuff, but I kept in my head going back to, I think it was like the late 90s in my head when I was out in the clubs and I was doing some of those things. And I kept thinking to myself, like, this this is exactly what, what my life was like back then, you know, except for the fact that I wasn't a profound DJ and had lots of girls coming at me. But that, you know, minor perspective, I guess. But <laughs> but yeah, the hunt doesn't change regardless of, of the era. Uh you know, the hunt is the same, but uh, 
the music changes, the la- the the language changes. So so definitely. So talk to me about what happens next for you guys. Obviously, this is resonating. People are, are picking it up. You're seeing it on social media. You guys have some marketing out there. Do you guys live in this moment or are you guys continuing to push forward? And that kind of goes back to the question I asked you earlier. If you don't have the stress of, of the next step, are you actively pursuing that next step? Are you guys like, let's talk to studios now. Or are you guys going to wait, give it some time? I mean, obviously, this has been a 10-year journey. I mean, what are the next steps in this journey for you guys? We have a lot in the works in regards to next steps. Um, obviously, we're relishing in this moment of achieving uh, something that seems somewhat impossible to release a physical book, an audio book, and an ebook. But um, come mid-May, we're actually already meeting with a lot of the streaming networks. We have representation for the project. We're going all in. We're also exploring a sequel. We're also exploring this uh, metaverse and, and figuring out ways to bring these characters to life through animation, augmented reality, and being open to what the future holds for the story. You know, a lot of time art takes on a life of its own. So you have to be able to embrace that. And, you know, quantum quantum physics, it's just possibilities are endless. Make sure you're open to them and, and let things occur as they may. There, there was so much that as I was reading the book that it made me think of like possibilities. And I can only imagine what three guys who were in more of a much more creative job than I am every single day have got, you know, planned, but you, I mean, you could go down the path of, of, you know, music compilations. You could go down metaverse. You can go down NFT path with it. I mean, you could do a lot to build a community that's already building anyway, because they're, they're taking in this book. Have you guys given any thought to, I, I buy a lot of NFTs, my total DJ. if you're familiar with the, the vernacular, I buy any stupid shit I can get my hands on because it looks cool. But I will tell you that I, I'm, I've embraced the idea that these, each one of these NFT projects is a community. Each one of these communities continues to try to hook you in with continual activity and building their brand on you being engaged. Have you guys thought about ways to continue to take this book and engage in a community for more of a long, because obviously it's easy for them to read the book. But how do you get them to read the book, to be an engaged community, and then leverage that community to go watch that movie? Have you guys thought about ideas about how to, how to continue that progress? Because the book is a book, and, and that's all well and good. They can get through it. I read it, and I listened to it in a couple of days. It was pretty easy for me. How do you take that up a notch? I think we've uh, brainstormed uh, the possibility of an NFT project. But like you said, it's uh, very community-based. And we just have to fine tune the details and figure out how we can bring value to the project. It has to have utility. It can't just be a bunch of JPEGs of our characters. They're like, here, buy it for one ETH and just expect that to be something that's interesting to people. So just building um, structured layout of how we want to present it and roll it out would be important. But, uh, I think our main focus right now is seeing through the ultimate dream, which is seeing this either on the big screen or on our screens at home with our streaming services. I think that's the main focus, but we definitely, I mean, we're creatives, so there's always ideas flowing out of us and maybe there might be a way for the project to be seen that we haven't even thought about, but we're uh, ready to approach anything that uh, makes sense. 
Well, I can't imagine with all three of your backgrounds, uh, specifically in music, in film, in in the creative process, having written this, having branded your communities and built it, I, I can't imagine the three of you don't have the contacts to really push this project to the next level. And as somebody who's who's not a creative, who just happened to you know be a consumer of the product, I got to tell you, I, I want to see it. Do you guys have a preference whether it winds up being a movie or a streaming network, or is it just you guys want to see it in in a in a film format? Is there a preference for you guys? I mean, is it what's the dream? I mean, we know we know where box office sales are now. You know, unless it's a it's a it's a Marvel superhero film. Rea- the the reality is it. You know, a lot of shows are going strict straight to streaming platforms. We're open. We're open to opportunities. The film could turn out to be a full animated film. Um, we're open to wherever it may take us. Um, but the, the end goal is to turn it into a film. Now, if they want to take that film and break it down into a series, we're open to that as well. But best believe we're knocking on doors. But w- with the opportunity to actually open the doors... I've definitely fantasized walking the red carpet at Man's Chinese Theater for the big premiere of Love Hurts, directed by Judd Apatow. And <laughs> yeah, there you go. On Paramount or Warner Brothers, you know, that's that's been the dream. I've, I've envisioned that countless times. Uh, but whatever way it comes out, uh, I think we're all going to be really grateful and feel blessed. Well, I generally keep the interviews to about 40 minutes and I want to be mindful of your guys' time. Uh, I know that we set about an hour for, for this. So one of the, the, the questions, uh, and not really questions I had as I read the book, I kind of sensed it, but I want to ask you guys, there is a resounding layer of positivity in the book and in, in kind of everything happens for a reason and there's, there's a way to turn these negatives into positives. And you guys all three sound resoundingly positive and, and resoundingly happy about everything that's happened. And it comes off very authentic. So kudos to you guys for that. But is this, you, you seem to have written a book, talked about it, got it out there, and you're so positive about what comes next. Is, is this a normal thing for you guys? Or are you guys carrying the happiness over? Or is that part of the, the, the zeitgeist, the ether for you guys? Is, is this positivity and this happy message and, and this kind of reinforcement of all the good things? Because despite all the comedy, it was a happy environment, you know? I mean, yeah, I mean, we've always been happy-go-lucky type of guys, you know? We always try to stay positive and, like, and, like, and just focus on, on, on the bigger picture, you know? Just, that's how we've always been growing up. And that's what I think us being all three positive, that's what brought us together, you know? Like, you know, instead of, like, how me and Aaron used to, dance against each other instead of like being like oh hating that he's getting better or i was getting better we were like actually giving each other kudos like yo give us giving each other props like dang you're getting better you're getting better and like you know now we're like pretty much brothers you know (laughs) and it's like it went beyond beyond dancing and and beyond hip-hop and now we're just like one big family you know so you know like there's always ups and downs but like we always we always we always stayed positive and like, you know, and always have faith, faith and like, and just, you know, no, no, like, you know, like, like what Aaron said, like, like, we're only here on earth, like, for so long. So like, you just got to keep, you got to stay positive. 
Well, it came out in the book. I, I appreciate you guys uh, immensely for giving the time. Please, uh, if one of you wouldn't mind, let us let everybody know where to find the book. Uh, there's obviously a bunch of different avenues. Plug away. All that information will be in the show notes, and it'll be there for everybody to click to. If they're listening to the podcast on Spotify, Apple, there'll be direct links to anything you want. But gentlemen, tell them where to find you guys. Yeah, you could uh, find out more about us uh, and any upcoming, you know, any updates on Love Hurts book dot com uh that's hertz spelled h-e-r-t-z and follow us on social media love hurts book um youtube and we put out uh a soundtrack of music that's on the audiobook that's on soundcloud also uh love hurts book to find us on there and then to get the book amazon audible kindle those are the main uh, it's all as well as Apple. It's it's everywhere now. So yeah, go support independent artists. This is a story. Uh, it's kind of like Rocky, the the story of the underdog, but it's it takes place um, in the in the world of electronic music. And um, all he wants to do is pursue what he's passionate about, no by any means necessary. And we wanted to thank you, Chris, for this opportunity to share our story on your platform with your audience. We're really grateful for this opportunity. You kidding me, man? I'm nobody. I'm happy to have you guys on the show, and, and and I'm I'm super elated that you guys would come on. I did have to bribe Roggy though. I've taken him to Disneyland again. We went on the teacups together. <laughs> <laughs> right. Missed you last time. <laughs> yeah, man. Some of us some of us got a fake like we're working some of the time. So I went to work and pretended. All right, gentlemen. I appreciate you. Thank you so much. We'll catch you guys right. next time, Thank and you, hopefully Chris. the next time we talk, we'll be talking about that movie deal. Okay. Absolutely. All right. Take care, guys. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation on the Higher Standard Podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe or follow on whatever platform you were listening to this on. If you like this episode, please write a review and share it with us. You're getting the show up and running right now, so every message, every review, and every note counts. This show exists to showcase what's possible when leaders decide to uphold a higher standard for their businesses, their investments, their families, and most importantly, themselves. If you want to see more of my content, I post daily on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. So be sure to follow me on your favorite social media platform. And with that, it is a wrap. And as always, I look forward to hanging with you all on the next episode.